first time you competed, from my understanding, you actually came in second. So you won silver medal. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, we had competed as the U.S. in this competition since its inception in 1987. We, so there was there was not a lot of anticipation of, of this guy coming out of California really, really doing too much for us. Enchanté. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about delicious French food and the people that love it, cook it, produce it, talk, write and photograph it. Paul Lacuse is one of the world's most renowned chefs. Not only has he brought Lyonnais food to the world, but also French cuisine to heightened levels by showcasing it in his many restaurants and by being a mentor to some of the world's best chefs. Paul Bacuse passed away sadly in 2018, but his legacy lives on in not only his restaurants, but also the Bacuse Door, one of the world's most renowned cooking competitions. Today on Fabulously Delicious, we continue our conversation with Philip Tessa and talk about the Bacuse Door competition and what it's like to train for it. We also get an insight into Paul Bacuse, the man himself. Let's rejoin the conversation with Philip now. On to Bacuse and the Bacuse Door. Whilst working at the French Laundry, you actually had your first exposure, so to speak, of the Bacuse Door. Tell us, what was that like? Backing up a little bit before that actual trip, you know, I I, I really didn't know what the Bacuse Door was, you know. Um, I hadn't really heard of it, you know, too much other than just seeing something here or there. But um, I just threw chef work for me, gave me a video, you know, DVD at the time, you know, back in those days, you know, where it was like, hey, check out this, you know, competition. And, you know, it was it was all all the goosebumps and the craziness and the, and the passion for this, you know, international cooking competition takes place every two years, always in Lyon, France, started by Paul Bocuse, you know, the icon of our of our generation, really. Um, and so you know, it, it all kind of came to my doorstep in, in 2008 when Thomas Keller, Jerome Bocuse and, and, uh, Daniel Balud took over as the, the new kind of what at that time was Boku Store USA. So, you know, being that I worked for him at the time and the training kitchen soon became, you know, the, the house next door to the French laundry got remodeled into this, you know, pseudo kitchen. Um, you know, the opportunity to kind of, hear what was going on, see the teams kind of coming in and out. And then in 2013, got the opportunity to kind of actually watch, you know, a training session, you know, with Richard Rosendale and Gavin Kaysen, who was his coach at the time. And so um, that was when it was kind of like, wow, this is like really fascinating, but it was always kind of like, this is cool. I'm glad people are able to do this, but you know, I have three kids. I'm the executive sous chef at the French laundry. So yeah, not, not going to happen, you know? And so, um, in, in the winter of, you know, 2013, 2014, uh, we had the opportunity, you know, as the Thomas Keller group to go and do a dinner for the, the, the main event that happens there every year. So there's a, an event, a dinner called the Dîner de Grand Chef. And it's basically, you know, all of these, um, you know, amazing chefs who kind of descend upon Boku store. Uh, so you have all these MOFs, three Michelin star chefs across France and really the globe, uh, come and there's like, I don't know, some 200 Michelin stars in the room that night as, as your guests. So no pressure. Um, but we went there, uh, did, did a course for that dinner. And, um, that, that event is usually the, the, the night of the first day of a, that, that two day competition. So we did the dinner, uh, and then we're able to go to the competition the next day and, you know, I'll really never forget, like, kind of walking into this stadium, kind of turning the corner, you know, not really sure what to expect. And then just just being kind of immediately impacted by the grandeur of, of what was happening. You know, there's this, 
you know, massive stadium, 2,500 fans, you know, this battery of kitchens with chefs from all over the world. And, you know, Japan's there with their faces painted and drums beating in the UK with their, their, you know, marching band, which eventually wish they weren't there anymore. But (laughs) it was just like, wow, like I, I had no idea, you know, that it was at this, at this scale and this intensity. And then, and then just sitting there and, and watching, you know, these, these platters and these plates come up from, you know, these super talented chefs. You know, I think that, that, I took so many things away from that experience, but I think the one thing was, you know, at, at the time, you know, I'd been cooking for a long time, you know, working at three Michelin our iconic restaurant in America. So I kind of knew a couple of things, you know, but watching chefs put up food where you're just like, how did they do that? You know, this sort of what I call today, sort of that X factor, you know, is like really um, was really compelling. And, you know, I just, watched the competition, two things happened. One was I got really inspired for the competition. Um, and then secondly, you know, seeing how patriotic of an event this was, I think that's a thing a lot of people miss in this competition is they see it's a bunch of, uh, you know, elite chefs going to do this elite cooking thing, but it's, it's really about your country, you know, and, and seeing the US take seventh and kind of walking out of there, you know, a little discouraged that we didn't do better, you know, um, just kind of like, kind of bothered me <laughs> you know I was like i i know that we have chefs across the country and 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 people who can come together and and do something you know and win this thing you know really ultimately so you know that was when that belief really kind of just you know came came into uh you know my my kind of radar and you know it took a couple months after that to kind of figure out how is this going to work but you know by that point you know, it was about five years down the road. The organization Chef Keller had, you know, started with with Danielle and Jerome was really, you know, flourishing, and had now become a new organization called Mentor, and you know, the funding grew and things like this. But um, so I was able to see how, like, I could basically set this up to be be my job. You know, this would be the thing to do. You know, find a, find the income stream through it, and. Um, yeah, that was kind of a point where, you know, I'd been at, at French Laundry about three years at that time, you know, 10 years altogether with the Thomas Keller group. So it was it was kind of time to start thinking about, you know, what was next. So, you know, really the stars aligned in a lot of ways to, you know, make that opportunity possible. And uh, yeah, kind of set out on a crazy journey. <laughs> From what you've described, it sounds like it's the Olympics of cooking. So is the training for that? I mean, you've written a book on this. Is the training for the awards, is it, is it like training for Olympics? Yeah, so I think, you know, we, we learned a lot the year I competed, uh, both on what not to do and what to do. But, you know, it really, the the right way to prepare for this competition is really starting from the very beginning, which is really a year out, you know? So in, in, in terms of a timeline, so, you know, the, the competition usually takes place in January, you know, everybody sort of recovers for three and a half months and then you go right into finding the next team. Um, and that usually takes place with, you know, applications and interviews and things like this and kind of, you know, you kind of sort of know who's in the mix already or in their running um, and then through the fall, there, there's, you know, the selection of those teams that are training, and then there's a, a, a national selection. So you're competing, you know, against your fellow Americans for the honor of representing your country. So you go through that. And then not after that, you know, usually in the spring, you're competing in a continental selection. So, you know, for example, now the U.S. competes um, against, you know, the teams from North and South America. So you're 
traveling to another country or maybe it's hosting your country if you're lucky. Uh, and you don't have to deal with customs and all these other crazy things that we're seeing, but, um, you're going there and then you're, you know, the top, you know, X amount of teams, you know, qualify to go to the final. So I think it's, I think it's the top five teams here, you know, for, for the, you know, U S and, uh, America's selection as they call it. Um, so you know, you're, you're, you're going really through the same sort of qualification process that you would for, you know, let's say a world cup style, you know, event. Right. And so, then, then at that point, there's there's 24 teams from Europe, Asia, Africa's, and you know the the Americas, and so you you finally come to this, you know, final two day event. So, you know, in terms of, of of the training, you know, you're for for much of the time, you really don't know what you're training for in terms of like you, you know you have a, a theme that's assigned to you, and they took a lot of criticism about a decade ago or more where you know, they were announcing the theme, you know, a year in advance and everyone was just sort of really locked into, you know, this thing they'd done over and over and over and over again. And so they were like, well, Hey, maybe these aren't the best chefs, but they're really just the best robots. <laughs> the guys who've like piled themselves in the best. And so, um, I think really in 2013, they started to really introduce, you know, a lot more variables, you know, and, and then by the time I got there, there was, you know, a market and you had to like, have a mystery ingredient that had to be used on your plated dish that day. And, you know, it used to be two platters and it changed from a platter to, you know, a platter dish and then a plated dish. And then 2017 was a vegan dish. So, you know, you don't get that information on like your platter until September for a competition in January, but you started training at the beginning of the year. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of it, like what we, how we approached it was like, okay, let me, let me develop some ideas and some themes that can kind of go with, you know, let's say any protein. So if it's duck or it's beef or it's veal, like, you know, this, this carrot, I can tweak and adjust to go with any of those things. So really kind of focusing on, you know, what, what we call the garnishes and, you know, the accoutrement for the, for the dish, developing kind of the ideas and techniques behind that. Cause you really want to arrive, you know, when you finally do hear what this theme is with really that, that main protein to work on. Um, and there's so many challenges just between like, okay, here's the protein you're getting Irish beef. And then it's like, okay, well I'm here in America. Like, how do I, how do I get this beef over here? Um, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations to that. So we, we had some smuggling going on here and there perhaps, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So you know, then, then you just really, once that theme drops, the intensification just ramps up because every day is every day you don't achieve whatever you set out to do that day. It just feels like oh, you lost a week of time. <laughs> um, so it's, it's pretty fascinating just, you know, how much of a pressure cooker, you know, that, that last four months, especially leading up to the final in January is, and, you know, there's so much logistical challenges and so many, you know, technical details to try to decipher. And, you know, we ran into quite, quite a few on both years. So, you know, I, the book Chasing Bokus that, you know, I wrote was really, you know, to kind of give people a behind the scenes vantage point into what competition is all about. And um, from there, kind of taking that to another level of just also hoping to inspire, you know, other chefs to be a part of it. I, I might have scared a lot of them away in the process, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty fascinating, you know, to me, just, you know, that that whole process and the tenacity and just just real like sheer determination it takes to to get to that moment at, at your peak. 
first time you actually competed, from my understanding, you actually came in second. So you won silver medal. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, we had competed as the U.S. in this competition since its inception in 1987. We'd, we'd been there every week, you know, and, and the best we had done, you know, up to that point was was sixth place. Um, you know, we had we had taken, you know, kind of a like 10th and 7th and, you know, these types of places previously. And so there was there was not a lot of anticipation of of this guy coming out of California, really, really doing too much for us. Um, I think there was, you know, a small contingent of us fans there and such. And so, um, you know, when we came through and, and, you know, performed in the way we did and, and, you know, the, the design we had done with Martin Kastner, who has a company called crucial detail was a real huge part of that. And just, um, you know, I think we were all year long for me, you know, our training was all about, we got to hit the podium. We got to hit the podium, you know, just bronze, silver, gold. Like we just, that's, that's the goal. Right. And I'm kind of disappointed. We had that mentality <laughs> because, because really what you learn in doing this is like, it, it's, it needs to be gold or nothing, you know? Um, and, and, you know, that being said, you know, we were, we were climbing from sea level to, just below the top of Mount Everest, you know, in terms of what we were trying to do. And, you know, when the silver was announced, you know, it was just extraordinary, you know, for us to, you know, we didn't, we didn't just make, you know, the podium, like we were nine points from gold out of 2000, you know, we were neck and neck with the top teams in the world. And, you know, the two guys who stood on the podium with me, this was their second Boku's door, you know, they had, some one of them it was their third. They had been a Komi for the previous chef, you know, when they were younger, and so they'd been doing this for for five, six, seven years. So, you know, for me, this was the first competition I had ever done <laughs> in my lifetime, pretty much since I was a culinary student. So, you know, we we were pretty excited about that, and 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 so you know, I looked at the scores, and I was like, wow, we were only nine points from gold. This is incredible, amazing, what an achievement, you know. And then a month later, it was like we were only nine points from gold. Like we could have won this thing. Like we need to win this thing. And and that was kind of where, you know, the next part of that story really started for me. So you competed again. So I basically kind of looked at, you know, all right, what's the goal here? The goal is to go back and win gold. And I just felt like, you know, my experience as a candidate and competing was, was amazing. Uh, but I felt like I had a lot more to offer in terms of, of longevity and, 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 and being a coach. And so I took on the role of the, of the, of the head coach and proceeded to look for, find, and, you know, start training the other teams, um, for the U S. So So in the, in the team, is there a head chef? Yeah. So, I mean, really the structure is a lot lot of people don't realize it's really, it's really one chef, you know, who's the, the, um, you know, team member for the, for the country. And then they, they have, you're allowed to have a Comey or apprentice, um, so, but they have to be 22 or younger. So that, that's quite, especially, you know, back to the conversation of, you know, these young kids, you know, and, and really trying to find young student chef slash, you know, chefs who hopefully have some good experience at that age is quite difficult. So it's a chef and a comi, and then, uh, a, a head coach. So the day of that event, those are the three guys there. And then they give you, you know, an assistant who's supposed to be your dishwasher. They can do anything, but you don't know them from Adam's. <laughs> who knows what real or if they even you know speak your language so um 
you know, the, the task of the coach is really to, you know, guide the team through the training process, you know, offer them, you know, both support and criticism, you know, and, and really try to take off as much pressure as possible from the team. Uh, so, you know, me going through that intense process and realizing the moments when I, I really could have used a lot more support and, and also the moments where, you know, I wish somebody had told me that, like, just tell me, like, I want to find out there, <laughs> you know? So, uh, that was really kind of where, you know, the role of coach became critical and kind of, you know, having that, you know, expanded level of support for the team. Cause you know, when I competed, my coaches were in different States, you know, nobody was in California. So they would come and be there for, you know, two, three days and then disappear. And then you're on your own again. And then hopefully you've made progress by the time they came back. And, you know, I was insistent that like our team for this year, everyone was going to be local. So you know, our team was here in Napa, out of San Francisco. There was, you know, Matt Kirkley and Robert Sulatiki, who is a good friend of mine. They they were our assistant coaches. So, you know, there's quite a big entourage surrounding this team. Um, you know, you have all the other Thomas Kellers of the world, you know, kind of coming in and doing tastings and things like this. So, you know, you're you're constantly, you know, in the eye of of your your inner circle, if you will. Um, but yeah, as as a coach, I think I was more anxious in the end <laughs> than I was a candidate. Cause you know, you're, I'm not allowed to be in the kitchen. I'm across from them, you know, sort of a, a, in a restaurant, you're the expediter, you know, you're there kind of, but I, I can't touch anything. They're watching you. If I start doing anything, they're going to slap your wrist, you know? So, um, but you know, you have the whole timeline, you're watching everything, you know, and we had some pretty critical moments where we had some things go wrong and, you know, we're looking at each other of like how we're going to fix this. So, just being able to offer, you know, sort of a, a clear mind of instruction during that, uh, that those intense moments uh, really makes quite the difference. You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. One of my favorite lines from a TV show I love is I sing the theme song, I write the theme song, and I play the theme song. Well, with Fabulously Delicious, I plan, edit, record, produce, and basically do everything at the moment. But I'd love to get to the stage that I can get others to help. In order to do this, I need your help. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, you can become a Patreon Fabulously Delicious and Cooking Fabulously on YouTube. With this support, I'll be able to hire future editors and producers that will be able to help me bring you more fabulous content. Any help is appreciated, and in return, you get more exclusive and fabulous content from me. My name's Andrew Pryor, and my motto in life is, whatever you do, you should do it fabulously. Thanks for listening, and let's get back to Philip Tezza, where we talk more about Paul Bacuse, the man himself. Paul Bacuse, the man himself, is a huge food icon of mine. What is it that you think it is about Paul Bacuse that um, has made him such an important figure on the international food scene? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting when you look at, you know, what we now know as celebrity chefs, you know, they all are, are quite different from one another. I think especially, you know, I mentioned he was kind of, I guess, the first celebrity chef I knew of, you know, but I was fascinated by, you know, a guy who was showing me, like, really amazing core technique, you know, of, 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 you know, high level chefs. Um, and you know, I think with, with Paul Bocuse, when you look at, you know, his goal was really to grow and expand the, you know, the craft that, that he loved and adored and as well as the, you know, French culture cuisine and to really grow that. Right. And so, you know, he was, 
he was a pretty smart guy, you know, and, and at that point, you know, he was a three Michelin star chef, you know, he had done his hard, hard work with Fernand Blanc and other, you know, to, to get to that level. And so, you know, he already garnered the respect of so many, but, you know, he was kind of one of those larger than life figures who really became the godfather <laughs> of, of, of all the chefs, you know, kind of that whole just, you know, ability to really elevate. I think we attribute, you know, from my profession, my craft here, we attribute to him the fact of bringing us from sort of that blue collar profession, uh, if you will, to really sort of, a, you know, not even just to a white collar level, but, you know, to a celebrity status, you know, that, you know, is a blessing and a curse these days. But, you know, it's, uh, it, it's something that is really fascinating. And, and I think the Boku store was, you know, one of those, one of those pieces of his, his puzzle that he put together to really kind of establish something that had ongoing continuity and impact. Um, and so, you know, I think from there, you know, I was able to meet him multiple times, you know, through my training and going over there and, and, uh, you know, even as early as 2013 and to see the way like the staff like responded to him when he'd come into the room and be there. I mean, it was, it was literally like everyone's grandfather, you know, like, like it was just that, that, that dual sort of respect and affection um, that was there. And so, you know, I think that's something that just, you kind of, that doesn't come through just being the boss, you know, um, it comes through, you know, bringing other people alongside you and having that relationship. And then, and then also just reminding people pretty consistently that I am the boss, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, it was, it was just amazing to kind of, you know, hear about and, and, and read about Paul Bocuse and know this competition and then to see, to see him there and experience that kind of really you know, brought it full circle. The Auberge in Lyon is, uh, well, it was the place of his birth and it was also the place of his death. It was such an amazing place. I uh, had the sea brim there, which I spoke about with Gabriel Gatte in uh, episode with him, um, which is the sea brim and puff pastry. Have you ever had that? Did you actually get a chance to eat there at the Auberge? So, yeah, fortunately, I've been able to eat there multiple times now. Um, the day after, another, another part of that story, you know, at Boca Store was, you know, a day after uh, the competition, you know, we went to Pobocus to eat for the first time. Um, and you know, what a, what an amazing experience, you know, you know, the, you go there, it's, it's not the avant-garde groundbreaking cuisine of, you know, a new restaurant popping up, you know, here and there, but it's, I call it a culinary museum. You know, it's, you go in there and, and it's just so much history in the walls, but the food still represents the heart of that time period. And yet, it's still pretty incredible, and and so, you know, I just I just love I just love going there, and you know the Michelin Cru that you mentioned, and the you know traditional soup, and the, you know the with the truffle soup, and and just every everything you there when you go back, you just like look forward to that finishing with the chartreuse and the you know, and you know these things. But um, you know, when I was walking out, oh, and the cheese trolley, yeah, the cheese trolley. I was just gonna say the cheese trolley that's like two, the size of two yeah, tables. Moment, <laughs> a little less before then, you know. Maybe I shouldn't have finished the beef tahini, you know. But you know, I walked out of that restaurant that night, you know, back in 2013, and you know, they have all the names of all the past winners engraved, you know, in front of that in the walkway leading up to that and i just remember you know seeing the names that had just been engraved that morning and 
seeing the blank space right after them, you know, and, and just telling myself like, we got to come back, you know, we got to come back and do this. You know? and I even texted Thomas, like, we'll be back, you know, after this. But, uh, you know, the, the, the auberge there is just really that history museum. And, you know, um, the day after the competition, they have the, the winner's breakfast. So, you know, you're, you're going there at eight 30 in the morning to uh cap cab's head and tornado vegetables and foie gras terrine and uh, red wine. So it's, it's quite the experience. So I've been really fortunate to have, you know, multiple experiences now with, with, with um, the team there. Why did he start the competition? Do you know? There's mixed opinions on it. The, the, the one that we repeat constantly and, and, you know, is true is, uh, you know, his, his goal was really to kind of build the community of chefs, you know, to bring chefs from all over the world together. You know, I think, you know, as chefs, you know, we experienced this even just this past year, you know, you're, you're constantly busy, you're, you're in your kitchens and you're, you're, you don't necessarily come together as a community, you know? And so, um, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, allows chefs to come out of their kitchens, interact with one another, both internationally. And then even for myself, I mean, I had the privilege of working with Grant Ackett's and, you know, Daniel Baloud and Thomas Keller, you know, and this whole kind of, group of chefs normally you work for one chef at a time but to have all of these chefs kind of impacting you know me and listening to them was pretty extraordinary so really about creating something that would bring chefs outside of their you know comfort zone outside of their kitchens and and really bring them together um and so that that's kind of really where the competition was born out of the, the story you don't hear too often was that you know there was the culinary olympics in germany at the time and france wasn't doing as well as they wanted to so they created their own competition <laughs> okay i can't believe that competition between france and germany really couldn't exist no it was pretty amazing uh, living here in france he's uh, when he passed away because his funeral here was a, a national event it was televised on every TV channel. What do you think he would have thought of that? I, I think, you know, in in his older years, he would have thought, you know, this this feels normal. This feels right, you know. But I, I think, you know, I can't imagine he ever would have thought of that, you know, at a young age, you know. Um, and I think that's just the the trick. I mean, in France, obviously, is super unique, you know, and how they chefs and you know even just i mean here here you tell somebody about Boku store they're like oh that's really fascinating you know in france it's like we did Boku store like oh my god like <laughs> and and so you know i think it, it was a i think it was appropriate you know and i think for him i think he you know obviously would have been honored but i you know i think it just goes to show not just you know the impact he had in our profession but just just socially you know culturally you know just really growing you know that that craft to a level where there's such a deep appreciation for it and you know he was he was a huge part of that you know evolving at a time when you know it it might not have you know so um he really brought chefs together he really he really kind of made that effort not just his own but you know corporately with with all of the great France at the time and, um, you know, and, and, and spread that sort of idea, you know, globally, you know, where French chefs, you know, it was the laws and laws of New York city back in the seventies, you know, and I mean, you could probably, you know, write a book of how many chefs came through his kitchens or through the chef that he mentored, you know, so the, 
it's pretty fascinating if you were to do that sort of family tree of, of chefs and where they've come from and how many of them would have would have passed through those halls. Now you're the executive chef at Press in Napa Valley. How would you describe the food at Press? Yeah, so I'll give you just a brief history because you know people look at Press, they they may find multiple layers of things. But I got there as a consulting job while I was getting ready to open a restaurant in another location. Long story short, that fell through. I ended up staying at Press, but uh, ultimately it was a steakhouse when I took it over. You know, it was a little like a loaded baked potato and cream spinach and this kind of thing going on. So, you know, I went there to make it a better version of what it was. You know, I don't mean, let me, let me let the dog outside real quick. Hang on a second. Hey. Okay, yep, go. Hopefully you can't hear her from outside. Um, I'll, I'll start over on the, on the press front. So, so yeah, plus it's kind of a, an interesting journey. You know, I, I originally went there as a consultant um, to work four or five months part-time, you know, kind of thing. And uh, long story short is it's turned into, you know, a, a partnership with the owners and it's been really just amazing kind of working with them and evolving a restaurant that at the time was a, a steakhouse with a loaded baked potato and cream spinach to really evolving that into sort of a modern American, you know, a little bit of an eclectic style, um, but really seated, you know, we've really shifted from, you know, kind of that, you know, nice steakhouse to really putting Napa Valley itself on a pedestal. Um, you know, we have the largest collection of Napa Valley in the world, you know, dating back to, you know, 1960s, 70s, which, you know, might not seem significant in France, but if you think about what Napa Valley was literally the Wild West, <laughs> you know, to a large degree at that time. So, you know, really kind of in our walls, you know, there's 1800 different selections of wine that are just all Napa Valley. So it's, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, really matching the cuisine to, you know, something of this caliber and, and this thoughtfulness, you know, is really the goal. So, you know, we've, uh, con- we're continuing to evolve what, what we do there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bigger restaurant, you know, and it's one that we kind of strike that that vibe of, you know, it's it's got a casual feel to it, but it has that level of sophistication and refinement that that we can offer our guests. So yeah, it's been it's been a fun journey. Um, we're looking at you know opening another location as well, but that's uh, uh, in the works. So we'll see. Because <laughs> is this the first time you've had your own place? Yeah. So I mean, I think my journey has been, you know, I've. I worked at Bouchon as a chef de cuisine and, you know, done that casual, you know, I think at one point we did 600 people a day there. It's craziness, <laughs> you know, to French laundry, you know, high level sophistication, you know, 60 people for lunch, you know, maybe 90 for dinner and, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I think those both kind of really allowed me to sort of reinvent myself, you know, kind of traveling from one to the other. I think really, honestly, the biggest impact from Boku store is just, is just really a sense of confidence. You know, um, when you look back on everything you, you had to push through to get to that end goal and all the things you had to come overcome, you know, you look at the things in front of you at a restaurant and you're like, yeah, no big deal. (laughs) You know, know, like, 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 so it's kind of interesting how that really changes your, you know, paradigm perspective, you know, kind of your own confidence and belief in yourself, you know, and in your team. So um, I think that really has a, hu- a huge impact on it. And I think also just, you know, in a restaurant, you get used to kind of sort of that a la carte style or a tasting menu style. But, you know, when you when you look at what you can achieve in the Boku store where, you know, f- for example, from my year, you know, we had two guys 
one of them a 22 year old or younger, you know, with 130 different ingredients, 40 different recipes, and five and a half hours, you know, producing 32 different plates, you know, of some super sophisticated food, you, you really do realize like how much you can achieve with just incredible organization, structure, and planning. Um, and so that's really something that I, I tried to implement in, in how we approach. Yeah, we might be a big restaurant and we might do some, you know, decent numbers, you know, especially from a, from a French perspective. But, you know, we do it in a way that's really highly organized and, and food that we're proud of. Um, and so all of that comes back to like, where do we start from? How did we get here? What's the plan going forward? And, and how do we approach this, you know, during that service? So, you know, I'm looking to open something that's going to be, you know, a lot more kind of, you know, high end. Um, and I'm looking forward to really being able to introduce that sort of discipline, you know, going forward into that, into that level. Chefs often love to collaborate. You are collaborating now with an artist, Martin Kester. Is that right? Kester? Kessman. Yeah. What are you doing with him? Yeah. What are you doing with him? So yeah, Martin, um, Martin Kastner, he has a company called Crucial Detail. And, you know, if you know the restaurant Alinea in Chicago, uh, you know, I spent a number of years developing a lot of their service pieces for them, actually helped to write their book, you know, makes all the molds and pieces for the aviary, you know, they're kind of pretty wild cocktail round. So that's kind of his, you know, initial claim to fame. But, you know, he's, he's someone who, you know, he's a, I don't, I, I can't, I struggle to define Martin because he does so many different things, but, you know, he, he's a craftsman and, you know, he's a designer. So he really focuses on the interaction between, you know, a, a human being and the, and the table and the food and, you know, kind of reinventing the fork and knives, if you will, in a sense. So, um, you know, I worked with him very, very closely in, in, especially in 2014, 15, leading up to Voku store, he designed all of our plates and platters and, you know, worked on all of the tools and things we did. So I think he spent about as much time on Voku store as I did that year, which is saying a lot. <laughs> um, and then, you know, he continued with us in, in 2017 as well. So we basically spent, you know, about three and a half years really working really closely together. So you know, when Boku Store ended, I really missed that relationship that we had and that kind of creative, you know, challenging one another, you know, from our different disciplines and the perspectives. And so, yeah, over the past year, we've kind of just, you know, been working, especially now that I've been back in the restaurant, just really working together on some of the pieces that he's kind of working on, uh, you know, giving them a test drive to the restaurant. Um, so the most recent thing is really, a, you know, a collection that's called Arboretum. Um, and it really kind of, to, you know, sort of a, a bunch of different trees, if you will. Um, so they're, you know, small wooden stands of differing heights with uh, small plates and bowls of different shapes and sizes that are interchangeable. Um, so basically giving you kind of, you could do some bar snacks, you could do menu D service, you know, one small canapé, or in the context of what we do now, we sort of do a, a fruit de mer, you know, plateau. So Instead of the traditional, here's your ice and your lemons and your seaweed and your crab and lobsters and some napkins, <laughs> you know, this is more sophisticated where, you know, each thing has its own plate and it kind of, but when we plate it, 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 it's, and set it on the table, it all comes together as, as one piece in a sense. So it's, it's super fascinating. It's something, you know, meant for the consumer at home. You know, he uses them at home all the time for, you know, nuts, butter, salt, you know, cheese, condiments, whatever it might be. So um, you know, this is one piece that we've, we've started working on and, and kind of, you know, 
collaborated together on and there's some other things kind of in the works so you know we have a lot of ideas on some other things but um yeah crucialdetail.com you know check out all of his stuff there you know he's he's got the the portal cocktail infuser which is pretty fascinating uh you know to me they're all works of art you know and, and yet super practical Fabulous. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes, so that'd be great. Finally, I wanted to ask, what piece of advice would you give a young teenager from Williamsburg, Virginia today that wants to, say, become a chef in the future? Yeah, that is a good question. (laughs) I'm I'm challenged to answer it in some ways because, you know, it's sort of frustrating here how expensive culinary school is. Yeah, I mean, if I worked for in France, like he nearly drove off the road when we were driving together, you know, of – how expensive it was. I mean, you know, so it, it's difficult. You know, I have, I have about nine culinary students working for me right now. Um, you know, cause we, we, we try to hire quite a few of them from the school and support them. And so, um, you know, it's great. I think it, for me, it's the best thing you can do if you're in Williamsburg, Virginia and you know nothing from Adam, you know, <laughs> so it can you access to information and, 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 and the chefs and build those relationships and find those mentors. Um, but I would say, you know, if you can, you know, just find your way into, especially in today's day and age where I've heard of this thing called a labor shortage, you know, it, it's not too hard. You know, if you're passionate about something to, I would say, just don't be intimidated, you know, don't be intimidated by how little, you know, or how big a place teams or how famous a chef may be, you know, um, I think just, just having the confidence to go knock on the door and say, I'm, I'm here to learn. I'd love to be taught. And what can I do? And, and then, you know, take whatever's in front of you. You know, I started as a busser in the dining room and worked my way into the, the prep kitchen and, you know, cook breakfast for six months, you know, things like this. So, you know, there's, there's a job for everyone, whether it's a dishwasher or a busser or whatever it may be. So I think just feeling, being willing to start at the bottom, having the patience to, to climb the ladder, so to say, and, and, and then just not being intimidated by, you know, what might, might seem sort of an, like you're, you're jumping too high, too high, too far. So um, I think that's probably what I would, I would tell someone go to school if you can, if not the latter or both. Philippe, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. When we can travel again, um, which is hopefully in the not too distant future. Um, although I think you guys can travel to here, but we can't go to you yeah, at the moment. I'm we're not vaccinated, sure. We're allowed to go there. And I think uh, November should be uh yeah, it should be the, the opposite. That will be allowed to go there. So, look, the next time you come over for the Bacoustor, you'll have to make your way from Lyon to Montmorillon, and I hope one day to be able to come to the States and uh, I will definitely be putting the Napa Valley and press on my uh, uh, itinerary for my road trip across America one day. Uh, that's the plan. Philippe, thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious. Thank you so much for having me, and, uh, yeah, definitely look forward to welcoming you to the uh, to the Napa Valley. Fantastic. Philip was so generous with his time in giving us two episodes of Fabulously Delicious. How wonderful to find out all about the Baku store. After we recorded this episode, the Baku store took place in Lyon, and none other than French chef Davy Tissot took out the first place prize for France. It was an extra special event for France because French President Emmanuel Macron paid a visit to announce the creation of a centre to train future chefs for such cooking competitions around the world. Supposedly, it's going to be in Lyon, so we await eagerly for news on that front. Thanks, Philippe, for your time and taking part in Fabulously Delicious. 
Don't forget, if you like this episode of Fabulously Delicious, then subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Share me around with your friends and family. Well, that's the podcast that is. With your friends and family that are into food. Well, the podcast is. Yes, Lenny, stop knocking the microphone over. Lenny would be my golden retriever who's actually wanting attention now. So I better be off because otherwise I'll have to buy a new microphone because the dog will have knocked it off the, t- off the desk. Is that right, Lenny? No, Louis? Is that right? Oh, Lenny's here as well. Everybody's here. All right. Come back and join me next week for more Fabulously Delicious. I'm Andrew Pryor and my motto in life is whatever you do, do it fabulously. So join me every week here on Fabulously Delicious, the podcast. Abiento and Bon App. Can you dog stop this? Seriously, what are you up to? Stop it. No, you're going to cause some sort of damage here at some stage. I can tell. Don't you look at me like that. Don't you look at me like that. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!